0: Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Hey, great to see you guys. This morning we are in actually our second to last uh, installment of the Sermon on the Mount series. We're doing Citizens of the Kingdom. If you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, we'll be looking at verse 21 through 23. Um, and again, we are super glad that you guys are here. You know this this whole series uh, uh, that we've been doing, chapter Matthew chapter five through chapter seven, the Sermon on the Mount, really is the greatest sermon that was ever spoken. And Jesus, as he gathered his disciples, uh, they all stood, and he sat, which is very different than today. I stand, and you sit, and uh, and, and he began to proclaim about life in the kingdom and it really is this incredible picture it's so opposite of our of our world and the structures of the kingdoms of this world His kingdom is so different and so opposite. He begins to talk about the characteristics of the kingdom. He began by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is an indication that the way into God's kingdom is recognizing your spiritual bankruptcy, our spiritual bankruptcy, and really the Sermon on the Mount, it drives us to Christ. We realize, man, we need a Savior and as we learn about the kingdom, it begins to direct us in him. We learn things about how we view uh, God's law, that it's not just an external keeping of the law, but there's something that at the heart level, we talk about murder. God says, I want to I take hatred out of your heart. And, and we learned that we do things, spiritual things like giving and praying and fasting, not to be seen as spiritual, uh, but to be uh, connected to God the Father. And we also learned so many things throughout the Sermon on the Mount. If you haven't been with us, you can go check out our website and uh, and give a listen in to some of those messages. And 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 yet here we sit at the very end of this message. He he closed the the sermon really with the the last part in verse 12 of chapter 7 of what we call the golden rule which Jesus said do unto others as you would have them do unto you this was that moment where you realize that living as a citizen of the kingdom we become these selfless human beings that are actually mimicking the life of Jesus. If you would, we're almost like an apprentice of Jesus. We learn who he is and we become more and more like him, even as Jesus is that same uh, person doing for others what uh, we would want done for us. Uh, We're other-centered and that's what we learn from the life of Jesus for sure. At the conclusion, Jesus gives uh, at, at verse 13 through 14, where he begins to describe the different tests to see Hey, who's in this kingdom? And he said, Enter by the narrow gate, for broad is the way, or broad is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who find it, but narrow is the gate, and narrow is the way, and difficult is that path uh, that leads to life, and yet there are few who find it. And then he begins to describe like, this is kind of the test. He's saying, Guys, you've heard what life in the kingdom was like. The disciples were there, there were others that were gathered, there were the religious leaders that are on the outsides, the Pharisees and the scribes. And he urges them, enter in to this narrow gate. It's a hard life. We learned about forgiving others. That is so opposite of who we are as human beings, right? We learned about praying for those who persecute us. The Christian life really is the most difficult life you can live on earth. And that's why we need the power of God's Holy Spirit within us to actually live that out. The broad gates and the broad way is where the religious of that day, they were on that path. And yet Jesus says, "Guys, enter the narrow gate." It's a hard gate, it's a hard path, but there are few who find it. Yet it's the one that leads to everlasting life. Now, he mentions we talked 2 weeks back and by the way, my buddy Josh uh, Holly was here. He's a campus pastor at The Well, so thank you for being kind to him. And, uh, and uh, he was here last week sharing. I don't know if you guys were here or not. But um, two weeks back, we talked about some of the dangers on this narrow path. And one of them was false prophets. That he, Jesus said, you'll know them by the fruit of their message by what they teach, and also by their lives. And he said, there will always be among us as we travel down this narrow path. And, and certainly those uh, false prophets were proclaiming messages like, there is no narrow gate. You can live any way you want. We're all sort of climbing up this mountain to God. And, and in the end, we'll find that we're all there with God. And, and yet the gospel has such a different message. The gospel tells us that there is no human being looking for God. It was God who reached down to humanity. It was God who became a man, lived a life that none of us could live, and ultimately gave his life on the cross so that we could be forgiven, where he exchanged his righteousness for all of our sin, and God poured out all of the wrath that sin deserved on Jesus there on the cross, and three days later he rose from the dead, as we just sang in that incredible song. That is what the gospel says, and yet there are false prophets then and even now that proclaim a very different message. From false prophets now, we get to this next little section, false professions, where Jesus said there will be many, many surprises on the day of judgment. The false prophets knew they were deceiving others, but the ones that Jesus speaks about here in verse 21, they actually are surprised. They are self-deceived. They're trusting in things that don't bring a genuine faith. They had a self-righteousness, and on the day of judgment, according to Jesus, there's going to be a lot of shock. It's verse 21. Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. on that day, many will say to me, "Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name?" And then, then they, uh, and then will I declare to them, "I never." knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Those have got to be the most difficult words any person will hear as they stand before Almighty God, entering into eternity. Notice the shock. They themselves are shocked. In fact, I think that on the Day of Judgment, there's going to be lots of shock, right? There's going to be people that are there that you're going to go, no way, they're here, right? Right? <laughs> That's the first shock. There's going to be the shock of, wait a minute, they're not here? I can't believe that they're not here. Clearly, I thought that they actually were living that life. There might be a third shock. You and I will be there. And everybody will be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe RVC is here. How did they get here? It is a sobering discussion. And it's something that we avoid all too often. And yet... We find so much in Scripture about do not be deceived, right? Take heed to, to make sure that we actually understand what's at stake. Souls matter. This is of highest importance one's eternal destiny that people have got to have it right. How a person is saved. According to Jesus, there is going to be many who come to him and, said, and say, and, and high-level type of things, right? Prophesying in his name, casting out demons in his name, doing miraculous works in his name. There will be many that said, I used to run the children's ministry at a church. I attended church on a regular basis. Our family gave a high dollar amount so that the church could get a building. There's going to be a lot of people who are holding on to what Jesus says are self deceptive things that do not equal a genuine faith and life everlasting in God's kingdom. The best thing you and I could do this morning is number one, is, is understand that souls actually are the most important thing. The ones that are in your household, the ones that you go to work with, even in this room, your own soul, to make sure that you actually are holding on to the true thing that proves a genuine righteousness. Do you truly know Jesus personally? Do you have a relationship with him? Even as Jesus lets us know, it is about knowing him intimately in a personal way, which is the indicator if if one actually has a genuine faith. Does a person's life, these are the sort of self-evaluating type things, does my life look more like the kind of life on the broad path or on the narrow path? Am I choosing to do hard things that God's word calls me to? Or am I just sort of floating down river with the rest of society? Is the fruit, as Jesus talked about, the false prophets, you'll know them by their fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. He said you cannot get figs from thistles. The only way you, not, you can take those sort of tests, if you would, is is there fruit being produced in your life? And do you know him? Are you in a relationship with him? Or is it just a religious life that you are living, that will end up with a surprise. There's so many people that are still holding on to sort of an external righteousness and say, look what I'm doing for the Lord. And Jesus says, but that is not an indicator that you have a genuine faith. What are you trusting in this morning? Jesus reveals a few ways that people can be self-deceived. Number one, when he says, Lord, Lord, there's a recognition that they have right beliefs. And right beliefs are not an assurance of a genuine faith. They believed all the right things. I think we can all, you know, say, well, there's a bunch of people that believe some, you know, kind of funky things about God, and you know what I mean? Maybe you have like friends that, you know, like, oh, I just believe God is in nature, and you know, God reveals himself in nature. But that tree that you chop down, you can't chop trees down, by the way, anymore. Like to take home. Some of you guys I see on your Instagram, I see you have like a real tree from like the forest in your house on, on Christmas. I'm turning you in this year. If I see you, you like, you're on, you're on private, you're on uh, government land. You can't be cutting trees down. But you didn't chop God down. You know what I mean? People have these kinds of funky views. These guys had the right doctrine. Lord, Lord. They understood that Jesus was Lord. They understood that he was That he was God. Even things like uh, they were enthusiastic about that right doctrine. Which is vital, by the way, to have right doctrine and right truth. But they were not relying upon that. But they knew it. They had a head knowledge. Uh, James uh, challenges a group of people that he wrote to. He said, you believe in one God good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. An intellectual knowledge of God is not Something that equates a genuine faith that, is, that gives you assurance that when you take your last breath, you'll take your next breath in God's presence in heaven. They intellectually approved of right teaching. They sat in churches and still do all over the world saying, yes, I affirm that. That is right. Even amen to preachers across this globe. They say Jesus is the Son of God. He died for the sins of the world. He's the only way to salvation through his work on the cross. Now, we must say that. We must confess that truth in order to be truly saved. But that confession or that profession is not something that equals a genuine faith. Romans 10.9 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Other scriptures say, all who call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. John's gospel in chapter one tells us, and all who believed him, he gave the right to become the children of God. And yet it's alarming that Jesus says, not everyone who says Lord, Lord is saved, but the one who does the will of my father. When a person is truly in a relationship with Jesus, who they are begins to change, not from the outside in, that's Religion but from the inside out. The Pharisees had an outside religion. I don't murder, therefore I'm righteous. And Jesus said, great, congratulations, you haven't murdered anybody. But hatred is equal to murder. The Pharisees said, I haven't cheated on my wife this week. And Jesus says, congratulations, you haven't committed adultery ever. Ever. But holding lust within your heart is equal to adultery. It's at that heart level that Christ begins to transform us. Not perfection. No one will ever be perfect. But you begin to change. And as an apprentice of Jesus, your life begins to move in a direction. You cannot hold on to bitterness, according to Jesus, and forgiveness at the same time. You cannot have a bitter heart against someone who has wronged you and sit as a citizen of the kingdom and not be confronted with that unforgiveness. That's, that's why it's a narrow road, right? It's like you cannot be bitter and follower of Jesus and hold unforgiveness in your heart. It's impossible. And God begin, By the way, this is some hard stuff, right? I'm not up here saying, like, so listen, just get over it. You know what I mean? Like a Don Henley song or whoever sang that song Get Over It. Do you guys even know what song I'm talking about right now? I turned 48. I have all these songs now going through my head before half of you guys were born. Nobody knows what song I'm talking about? It wasn't Don Henley. We're not leaving until we figure this out together, guys. (laughs) Okay. Ah, forget it. But now, oh, dang it. Okay. Never mind. We're going to talk about this. Out the donut table, we're going to have this conversation later on. What am I even talking about right now? Hard stuff, that's right. I forget. I'm not up here saying, hey, it's easy to forgive. Just be, you know, just like do Christian things. It's hard stuff. You gotta wrestle. But that's the call. And it, Jesus begins to change you from the inside. A profession of faith, a raising your hand at a, at a camp at Hume Lake, it doesn't empower you to forgive the unforgivable. The Holy Spirit does that work. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not hard. It is difficult. And you will be confronted with those kinds of issues from this point till we take our last breath here on this planet. But what happened was is that Jesus said that profession of faith, Lord, Lord, their character and their life denied the truth, and that's why it was a false profession, because they were not ones that were doing the will of his Father. To confess him as Lord and not obey him makes a person a make-believer. Many who grow up in church, a Christian home, even attend church regularly. Uh, they say it's sinner's prayer. They went forward at a Billy Graham meeting. It is not an indication that a person is truly in a relationship with God. Jesse James, you guys remember that guy? Let's just get on the same playing field, right? We all know who we're talking about, Jesse James. Uh, he was a churchgoer. I don't know if you knew this or not. He killed, he killed a, a man in a bank robbery, and then he uh, was baptized in the Kearney Baptist Church right afterward. They welcomed all kinds of sinners, as we do as well. Then he killed another man, a bank cashier, and he joined the church choir. and He was the hymn teacher, right? He began to teach hymns. Like, I, I shot the sheriff, but I did not shoot the deputy, right? He's just a, like, this is not matching up. But man, I guess he could sing. Uh, he loved Sundays, but he missed a lot because he was robbing trains. So we could say like, okay, little bit inconsistent, right? That profession of faith. And as he's singing up there in that choir with uh, his, you know, six shooters on the sides. The deal is, is that Jesus transforms you from the inside. And this confession of faith, Lord, Lord, wasn't an indication of it. Paul wrote to Titus, he said, such people, talking about people that were professing one thing but living a different. He said, such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. I love what Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite commentary writers, he said this about this passage. Obedience to his will is the test of true faith in Christ. The test is not words, not saying, Lord, Lord and then not obeying his commands. How easy it is to learn a religious vocabulary, even memorize Bible verses and religious songs, and yet not obey God's will. A profession, I'm a Christian, doesn't always indicate a changed heart. First John gives us lots of tests like that. There are people that proclaim, oh, I love God. And, and John says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. You cannot have hatred in your heart and claim to be a follower of Jesus. He also said, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And yet, many people have a false hope. It's sad. They're on the broad path that leads to destruction. That's why Jesus wraps up the sermon by giving them some tests. Which path are you on? Which tree do you represent, right? And now here indicating which profession do you have? Are you making a profession of faith that's external, that's not genuine? Or do you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ that shows up in you and I doing the will of the Father? Jesus said this. Do you guys see that? Like, Boom, I was about to Mr. Miyagi that fly like like chopsticks right there. I can't take a Sunday off without coming back and having a few hiccups, by the way, just in case you guys are wondering. And yes, I was in Las Vegas, you might have seen, but it wasn't like that. Like nothing stayed in Vegas. I am who I am. I'm going to leave it right there. I'm going to stop right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit while I'm ahead. Unlike what happened in Vegas. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and yet do not do the things that I say? Think about the implication of you and I calling him Lord. Lord is not like another name, like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not like first, middle, last name. Lord is a title that he has. That's what it means. His title, it speaks of a relationship to him. He is the master we are his servants. As my Lord, he has the right to control my life. Call me to obedience, walking on that narrow path, Sermon on the Mount type of living. It's inconsistent to say, Lord, Lord, and di- disobey his commands. Billy Graham was on a flight once, and there's a this totally drunk guy sitting next to him. He's like, Billy, you're my best friend, right? And like, Billy, I'm one of your converts. And, and Billy says, well, you must be one of my converts because certainly you aren't one of Christ. Like, your life is not moving in the right direction, right? It's a profession of faith. If our faith doesn't bring about change, Jesus said in the previous passage, you'll know them by their fruits. Perhaps it's not genuine. There's no desire for God in our lives. There's no hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is not, by the way, saying that you and I don't wrestle with sin. How many of y'all struggle with temptation and sin? Like, you got, got like, a a heart that flips over. Like, I want to be naughty, but then I'm at church. I really want to be good, right? I want to walk with Jesus. That is not an indication that you're in the wrong spot, that you're not on the narrow, narrow path. And oftentimes it actually means that. Young people will come and talk to me about, man, I'm struggling with this, whatever the issue is. Struggling with, a, with a, you know, an addiction to pornography. Whatever would be going on in a life, and like, man, I feel like that I'm not saved. And like the fact that you actually feel conviction and you want change means that you belong to Jesus, right? You just got to get on the right track. You need to get power in your life and and get some boundaries in your life. But if there's no conviction when our choices dishonor him and his word, that's a dangerous place according to our Lord. Right beliefs, Lord, Lord. It's not an indication of a genuine faith. He says, but he who does the will of my father. Right beliefs aren't an assurance, but neither is, number two, Jesus says spiritual works aren't assurance of genuine faith. A a person can perform great works on behalf of God and in his name and still be left out of the kingdom. He talked about those who prophesied, those who would proclaim the kingdom of God. You ever been listening to a preacher and go, man, he's saying all the right things. I don't know if he actually believes it. You might be saying that right now. You turn a TV on or you've heard somebody or you've heard a story about somebody just like going, oh, now the real person shows up. You know what I mean? They've got these big ministries and yet their life is so inconsistent with that ministry and the message of the gospel they proclaim. Listen, the gospel message is genuine even if the proclaimer of it, he or she, is not. But spiritual works, they're not an indication. Your church involvement, has no indication whether or not you're truly, genuinely uh, a a son or daughter of Jesus. Proclaiming the kingdom. Preaching to gain popularity is oftentimes the the deal. Paul Paul talked about that in Philippians chapter 1. But they don't have true life. It's just religion. And it's a false hope that they're going to one day clearly be shocked in the presence of our Lord. There's that self-righteousness. I've done all these things. Listen to the kind of language they have. Haven't we done all these things in your name, Jesus? They're holding on to works. A lot of people sit in church and they think, I've got to do all these things, and that's how God's going to give me his favor. If you're thinking that you can do enough good things to cancel out your sin and your debt that you owe to God, you're clearly wrong. Works cannot save a person. These people, Judas, how about the message that he proclaimed? Judas was a man that the disciples didn't even know as they were there in the upper room. Jesus said, one of you guys can betray me tonight. It's not like he looked over at Judas and go, I knew it. Look at that creepy goatee he has. You know what I mean? Like, he always looked kind of creepy in the movies and stuff, right? He looked like, in fact, he was the last person that you and I would think. He was the last person the disciples thought. As they one by one, Lord, is it I? Peter's like, could be me. I don't even know. And it was Judas the whole time. Uh, Miraculous works through him. Proclaiming the message of the kingdom through him. Helping the poor. And yet his life was unconverted. If anybody could make it based on works, it would have been that man, Judas. Judas. Self-righteousness is really just self-deception because you're trusting in something that doesn't produce a real relationship with Jesus. Other works, casting out demons in the name of Jesus. These are like big-time things, right? People walking in like, oh, what's that guy? Oh, they, um, they cast out all the devils around here. Oh, okay. They got something going on, right? Go ask, hey, can you pray for my fantasy football team? You look like you got a lot of power. Don't think that someone wouldn't ask for prayer for that. <laughs> I've seen some of the prayer requests that come in. In the book of Acts, there's a, uh, seven sons of a priest named Sceva. They were like going around like sort of a business they had. They, they, they started casting out demons. And so they came up to this one man that had multiple demons. They said, hey, we want to cast you out by, by the name uh, that Paul proclaims Jesus. And the demons looked at these boys, seven uh, sons of Sceva, and said, uh, Jesus we know and Paul we have heard of, but who are you? And then this man jumps on top of these seven guys, beats them up, strips them naked, and they go fleeing, wounded, outside the house. Right? Casting out demons, yet they had no knowledge of who Jesus was, no real relationship. That is the kinds of works that people are trusting in. Jesus we know, Paul we know, these are heavy things. The context, though, is the Pharisees and the scribes that everyone looked around and said, surely they're a citizen of the kingdom. And Jesus was exposing them throughout his whole sermon series. They do things out of a motive to be seen by others. They're not storing up treasures in heaven. They're storing up treasures here on earth. These are the things that they actually value, and that's why they have an external form of religion. Lord, Lord, haven't we done all these things in your name? Right beliefs, spiritual works, and yet it didn't produce a genuine faith. Jesus said about that group, he said, You like to appear righteous in public, speaking to the Pharisees, but God knows your heart. There's no one who will be saved by works. That's eye-opening for many people. It certainly was for me. I thought there was enough good things that I could do, and that would give me enough credit in God's eyes. Yet good works cannot save one person. The test that needs to take place is you got to go below the surface. you got to look at what's going on at the heart level. It's not a bunch of works that get done. Do you obey God from the heart? Are you obeying the Father? And then do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you know him personally? The Pharisees had it all on the outside. They had the right doctrinal beliefs. They had the right works according to their life. They appeared righteous. They felt confident, but it was based on faulty reasons. Surely, they said, you remember all the things we've done for you, Jesus. But he says, but you do not do the will of my Father which is born, by the way, out of a genuine relationship with Jesus. You and I start to obey the Father looking through God's word as you read his word and you read things about forgiveness. You read things about removing your life from sort of the worldly influences that are around us. You read things like go do for someone else what you wish other people would do for you. You learn how to become a selfless individual. You learn how to put your mate first. Like we should start there, right? Can I get an amen from, like, any spouse in the room? <laughs> like, instead of going, like, Jesus, I'm going to start obeying you by going on a mission trip. How about you start on Monday morning with your spouse, your husband, or your wife, or your kids, or your coworkers, or your boss, right? You start to change. Paul talked about this in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Like, listen, you got the gospel. God's changing your heart. Guess what? That means you don't steal anymore. You get a job so you can give some, give some money to people who have needs means you don't lie anymore you speak the truth it starts to change us from the inside out and that's what Jesus is talking about you know the description of eternal life is interesting And we think of eternal life which it is true it is uh, sort of in everlasting you know God's kingdom right as we spend e- eternity with God certainly everlasting life would include that <clears throat> but Jesus in his prayer to the father before he went to the cross in John 17 he, he says this about about eternal life He says father the hour has come glorify your son That the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Verse 3, Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they, what? Is it up here? Oh, there we go. There it is. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's an interesting description of eternal life, isn't it? knowing God, knowing Jesus. When you break it all down, what is Christianity about? It's about having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that he offers every human being who would recognize that they are a sinner and that they cannot earn his salvation. Everyone who shows up at the door of heaven and says, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness, not a changed heart. A bunch of external things, a bunch of external professions that means nothing in that day knowing Jesus. That knowledge of him. You know that that word to know, it's the most it's a word that they would describe the relationship between a husband and wife, this intimate close knowledge of one another. It's not a bunch of head knowledge. When you read your Bible, it's not so that you can go and learn a bunch of things you could blow your coworkers up the next day with. You read your Bible because that is the, that's how you and I get to know who God is. You go to your Bible every single day to meet with God and allow him to speak to you, not learn a bunch of different doctrines, you know what I mean, that you and I could just spout out, but it isn't changing our hearts. Jesus tells us this, That knowing Jesus personally is the thing that gives assurance of a genuine faith. The one thing that matters according to Jesus is relationship. He says, I never knew you. It's knowledge of Jesus. Can I ask you this morning, do you know him personally? Knowing him, being known by him. It's about your relationship to him. The one who knows him. They've come to that place in their life where they recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. The Bible confirms that every one of us has sinned. So today, if you think, well, there's a lot of things that I've done that ought to give me enough credit with God. That might work for your math teacher or your English teacher, but it doesn't work in the God's kingdom. Here's the two options that you have in order to spend eternity with God in heaven. Be absolutely perfect. Anyone? Nobody. Or have a substitute that willingly went to the cross on your behalf and you place your faith and your trust in what he accomplished on the cross for your life and for the life of every single person in this world. Those are the options. The ones who know him have come to that place. They recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus began the sermon, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They believe that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection was a sufficient sacrifice to cover all of our sins, my past, my present, and my future sins, and we've received the gift of eternal life by faith. Romans 6.23, Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul wrote in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is, a person who knows Jesus has come to that place and that realization, like, God, I can't do this on my own. God, I've broken your commands. I need your forgiveness. I need your pardon. And the Bible says that the ones who recognize that, who confess, he, he who confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, believes in his heart, he's risen from the dead, that's the one who's saved. No mention of casting out demons, no mention of prophesying in his name, but a genuine relationship at the heart. That begins to show up on the outside as we begin to be transformed doing the will of our father in heaven. That's the that's the real indication of a person has a genuine faith. Can I tell you, my friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, Christianity is about a relationship. How is your relationship today with him? It's I love when I'm talking to people about Jesus, you know, just like random people at the gym or people at a coffee shop and, uh, you know, and, and talk to them about like, man, Christianity is about a personal relationship. And every so often I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, and hey, how's your personal relationship? Well, I'm kind of busy, pastor in this church, Lord. I'm sorry. <laughs> Lord, Lord, didn't we plant a church at Clovis North in your name, right? <laughs> it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I, can I encourage you? Whatever begins to take a priority over that in your life, do some flipping. Do some rearranging. This is, uh, the, by the way, Sunday mornings for me or our gathering times and we meet together and we have a small group. Those are those moments that I get like, back lined up. Like, oh, this is the plumb line. Like, walking with Jesus. That's the important stuff. Christian, walk with God. Grab a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we have Bibles outside at our Connection Center that we want to give you so that you can go and you can meet with God putting him first, seeking first his kingdom. Make knowing Jesus your master passion in this life and you will never step into eternity with regret. I could promise you that because all the other things will get straightened out in your life as well. Uh, The priorities of family and relationships and serving God with your time, talent, and treasure. When you make Jesus, knowing him, your master passion in life, man, it just, everything just begins to click get a Bible, make a commitment to meet with God daily, approach the Bible not as a subject to study, but you want to hear from God. What matters is that you and I know him. Your soul is the most important thing. And maybe you're here this morning. And if we are talking about this moment in time where there's going to be a shock stepping into eternity, maybe this morning you're, you're holding on to a false profession. Like, well, I, I, I prayed a prayer one time, or I went forward at a church service one time, or I went to camp one time. But your life looks like you're on the broad path. You don't have assurance today. By the way, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5 that these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. Jesus' words here in Matthew 7, 21 through 23 are not meant so that you and I leave today and wake up Monday morning going, I don't know if I'm saved or not. That's not the, the purpose. The purpose is to drive people into the narrow gate. But if you know him, you have that assurance. You're not trusting in your own works. You're not trusting in some words you said in some prayer. You're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation and you have a relationship with him. But maybe you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with him. I cannot think of a more vital wrestling match in your life than to to get with this and to say, I've got to make a decision about Jesus Christ. There's an old uh, preacher back in the turn of the first century, sorry, first century, <laughs> the uh, 20th century, uh, Charles Finney. He was a lawyer. And he was a, he was a, a guy that didn't believe in Jesus. Didn't, he wasn't a follower of Christ, but he started hanging around some Christian people. Well, he, One day he met with a Christian lawyer when he was in law school. And the lawyer at, looked at him and said, Mr. Finney, what are you going to do after you graduate? Well, I be- think I'm going to begin to practice law. And he says, well, what then? said, well, then I think that I'm going to like, open up my own practice. Mr. Finney, what then? He said, well, then I think I'll get married. What then? Well, then I'll have a family. He starts getting frustrated. Mr. Finney, what then? Well, then I think I'll die. Right? And the man looked at him and says, and what then? What's going to happen then? If today you're in that spot, you're not sure, Here's what you need to know. God loves you so much that he willingly left paradise in heaven 2000 years ago to become a man, to be born into a, a family that struggled financially, to live a perfect life that none of us could ever live, ultimately to go to the cross. And the torture and the pain physically of the cross was not the big deal, although it was a big deal. The big deal was the fact that God the Father poured out all the wrath that this world's sin deserved upon his own dear son. And Jesus absorbed all of God's wrath for your sin and my sin too. And he died that day and three days later he rose from the dead so that he might offer you and I forgiveness of sins and relationship, not religion, relationship. But you've got to recognize that you're poor in spirit. And you've got to surrender your heart to him. What does it look like? You realize that you're a sinner. Because all of us have sinned. You recognize that Jesus died on the cross for you. And today you are willing to repent of that sin. Which means that you're going in one direction opposite of God. But today you're ready to turn around. And you're ready to embrace all of his gift of forgiveness of sins. And relationship with him. And you receive Jesus Christ into your life. Man, I want to give you that opportunity. As we do every single week somebody to turn their life over to the Lord, where the Bible describes that a person transfers their life from death to life, from darkness to light. And which has happened for dozens of my friends here in this room. It happened for me almost 30 years ago, next Friday, October 5th. Man, we want that to be for you This well. Man, let today be that day you commit your life to Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love, God. Thank you for the grace, the grace that you have for each and every one of us, Lord, the grace that you offer Lord, your riches, your forgiveness, your peace. Lord, there's no amount of good things that any one of us could ever do to earn your love or your favor. Lord, we read about a passage about people that are trusting in things that were deceptive, right beliefs growing up in church, spiritual works, and yet none of it equated to salvation. None of it brought about a genuine faith. God, it is a true knowledge of you. And Lord, we thank you that we do see the indication that that we are your followers, God, when you begin to change our hearts, God. We begin to obey you. We begin to see our lives become more and more like you. And Lord, we thank you for your grace that covers our sin and our failures along this narrow path. Father, I pray for those that you have urged this morning to enter that narrow gate. They're ready to surrender their hearts to you. They're ready to commit their lives to you. Father, I I thank you that you love them so much. Would you reveal your love to them today, God? And, And Lord, would you also reveal their incredible need for a Savior today?